Hello and welcome everyone. This is Lakshmi from Canada. I'm very delighted to meet you all in the Heartfulness Speaker webinar series on yet another interesting topic, emotional intelligence and leadership. Today's webinar is a little special because we not only have participants from all around the world who are connected with us virtually, but we also have live audience for the first time, along with our guest speaker tuning in from Chennai, India, which is also my hometown. Uh, so my fondest greetings and welcome uh, to all of you out there. And to all those who are listening in, I hope you all had a good start of the year. And I pray that there's lots of joy and happiness that comes your way all through this year and the years to come. Now, with that note, I'm going to move on by saying these series of webinars are sponsored by Heartfulness Institute, a global nonprofit organization registered in USA. It offers all humanity a simple and effective set of practices for relaxation, meditation, regulating the mind, and building inner strength and attitudes for overall well-being. We are present in about 130 countries and have over 7,000 heartfulness facilitators to help you deepen the practice of meditation. We also work in collaboration with education institutions like universities and colleges, communities, corporations, and government organizations to develop and deliver heartfulness, relaxation, and meditation workshops and various kinds of leadership and self-development programs all throughout the world. Now, if this is your first time hearing about heartfulness and you're intrigued or would like to experience heartfulness further, please visit us at www.heartfulness.org. Next, a quick housekeeping before we get started. I'd like to let everyone know that all attendees will be muted for the duration of this webinar. While throughout this presentation, you'll have the opportunity to key in your questions in the QA box found on the top left of your screen, probably. We ask you to use this box to ask any questions along the way, and our presenter will be happy to answer at the end of his presentation. We will also be recording this session and make it available to all in our website, webinars.heartfulness.org. It is important to know that this presentation will probably last for about 35 minutes, and we will have 20 minutes in the end for questions. Now, at this point, I'm very happy to welcome our guest speaker, Mr. Prakash Sheshatri, today, who has high credentials, achievements, and uh, some interesting facts that I have gathered about him is that he is a gold medalist in corporate secretaryship and a postgraduate in commerce from the University of Madras. He is the CEO and co-founder of Sea Change Consulting and Sea Change Academy based at Chennai, India. He is an author, a motivational speaker, a corporate mentor. He has served Sri Ramchandra Mission in several capacities. Currently, he is a zonal coordinator of Chennai Metro Zone and secretary to president of Sri Ramchandra Mission. He has been practicing heartfulness meditation since 1992. He lives with his family in Chennai. Having been in leadership roles for years and also an adept meditator, he is here to talk to us about how to improve our EI competencies, or in simple terms, how to improve the art of uh, being a better human, and also how to achieve a win-win uh, solution at work and personal lives many times. 
So I'm very glad to welcome Prakash to the speaker series. Hi, how are you Prakash? Hi Lakshmi. Namaste to all the people who are watching this uh, live. Wish you a happy new year 2017 and a happy Shankaranti and Pongal if you are part of the Indian crowd watching this. Imagine wanting to put the size of an ocean into a small teacup. This is exactly the challenge our host Lakshmi has thrown to me today. A topic as big as the ocean, what we call as emotional intelligence and leadership. And what is the teacup size? 35 minutes. So, whatever you get in the teacup, you have to go back and expand further to see how we can expand it back to the sea or the size of an ocean. Let me start with a small story that I have read long ago, which connects back to the topic that we are going to explore. There was a husband who was rushing to office in the morning. He had a, he has a wife. And uh, he had a meeting 45 minutes from then to attend, and it was with a very important client in his office. As he was getting ready, he had dressed up, and as he was about to rush, he finished his breakfast and asked for a cup of coffee. And his wife came with the coffee, and as uh, the wife was serving him coffee, the daughter who was about to go to the school rushed in and jumped onto the lap of the father. And it so happened that the coffee spilled. As is his wont, he got angry and upset and threw the maleish tantrums, as they say, and left for office. Because he was already late, he had to go back, change his dress, and by the time he took the car and rushed to the office, he had to beat the morning traffic, had to take a couple of chalons on the way, and by the time he reached office, the customer had been waiting for him with a multi-million dollar deal had already left. And he had to face the music with his boss for having delayed such an important appointment which decided the fate of the deal. And one led to another, the day was extremely tough for him and by the time he came back in the evening, there was a parallel story happening at home. His daughter had missed the bus and his wife had to run here and there to somehow make go to the school and all her shows that you were doing for the day got affected and by the time he came back home in the evening he found a not so happy wife and not so very happy daughter the question to us is these are situations we face uh, day in and day out in all our lives who caused this challenge in terms of what the husband did or the consequences we look at our lives, I always firmly believe, specifically relating to the topic of emotional intelligence, that uh, how we react or how we are supposed to respond to what happens to us is hardly 10%. And in that 10% of what happens to us and how we react or respond determines what happens to the rest of the 90%. And this is exactly what EA is all about. Imagine the power of the nuclear force. Your mind immediately goes back to the days during the Second World War when the bomb was dropped over Japan, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. 
in terms of its intensity, it was almost nothing compared to what is prevalent today. But the impact lasted almost four to five generations. You may be wondering if uh, the nuclear power actually caused the Holocaust. In my view, no. Actually, it was caused by the president of then United States who was in war with Japan and he had to prove a point. And emotions took over logic and decided to drop the bomb. That is the power of your emotions. Emotions can far outweigh even the power of, power of the nuclear forces that we actually have at our command. Today it has only become worse in terms of its intensity and its strength. They say that the collective arsenal that is available with all the countries is capable of destroying Earth all over at least one million times. That is the collective force available. And all these forces are available with whom? With the world leaders. And it is their emotions or the feelings that determine the fate of these bombs to which they have access. One red button and that's it. It can be launched. You see these threats coming up day in and day out. If you really look at emotions, are emotions the problem? In a way, yes, and in a way, no. The true challenge comes with the feelings. Feelings are like the fire, and the emotions are like the smoke that you see. The effect of the feelings is what you see in terms of the actions that people take, and that leads to consequences, which also means we need to be responsible with uh, the feelings that are generated inside us. If you really look at how the whole end-to-end, uh, -end, the whole stuff works, if you really look at the behavioral aspect or the emotional intelligence as the subject, the whole thing starts with the thought. Your thoughts over a period of time gets condensed for a period of time, 10, 20, 30 years, and they become your belief systems. And these belief systems, they say, becomes your attitude. You know, it's fine. The attitudes determines your feelings. And from these feelings, you decide to act based on the emotion that actually attacks you at that point of time. Literally, it's an attack. In a way speaking, every action that we take has consequences. And it is medically proven that you cannot take an action till in some way you are emotionally connected to that situation which actually makes you act. Science has repeatedly proven that by neutralizing a portion of your brain, you can literally become unable to take any decisions whatsoever, even as simple a decision as taking a cup of coffee or having a cup of tea. Because it is that trigger which is essential for us to actually take action which leads to consequences. Which means we need to be extremely careful of the choice that we make when it comes to our emotional competencies. We might have a little bit of control on thoughts or how it shapes our belief systems and attitude. But we do have a great, uh, I would say, ability to control these emotions which leads to the consequences and hence the outputs of those consequences which can last several lifetimes. 
they are saying that uh, people who are emotionally stable and uh, people who are EA competent, including their leadership skills, think through at least seven steps, as they say. There are leaders who think through seven generations of the actions that they take before they embark on any action. Because that is the power of the emotions that we have. There are several aspects when it comes to EA competencies. One of the competencies that I always uh, see as part of my coaching work or my management work across companies, repeatedly the management staff, the employees, the staff, all of them I face, invariably they have only one thing to share and that is about their bosses. If my boss would only listen, he does not know how to listen. And without listening, he takes actions. And these actions leads to consequences. And we are the people who have to bear the brand. And if you look at the organization structure of any organization, it's typically a pyramid model. There is a boss perched right at the top, and there are people at various levels. And it percolates down the line at each level. At each level, the challenge is there is nobody to listen to what I have to say before they take decisions. But their decisions impact us. Their decisions actually decide what the future of my team, myself, and even my organization. What has really listening got to do with emotional intelligence? After all, apparently such a simple thing. Somebody says something, I have to hear, and then logically I have to decide and take some action. If you really look at how your brain is hardwired, invariably you will find that the aspect of decision making to a great extent is controlled by your primordial brain on which almost, almost, we don't apparently have any control. The logical brain is taking some inputs, but it is this primordial brain which actually triggers the action which leads to consequences. And this is the same primordial brain which is sending some inputs from the person who wants to be listened to. If you look at listening as a competency, in any communication parlance, the person, there is a person who sends the information and there is a person who receives the information. What is the person doing when they are actually sending what they want to send? They are sending apparently information. But extensive experiments in emotional competencies have shown that if a person is actually speaking for about half an hour, hardly 10% of what he or she speaks can be construed as the message or the data. The real 90% that a person is actually communicating is nothing but his or her feelings. What are these feelings really speaking? In a given situation, when I go to my spouse or my boss or my subordinate, I'm sharing some information. That's almost incidental. If it is a problem, I want a solution, or I already have a solution, I just need a pat on the back from my boss to say that this decision of yours is good, I'm backing you, go ahead and do, I'm with you. 
invariably 9 out of 10 situations, this is what people expect. They know what they actually want to do. They know what the solution is. They only want actually a support at a feeling level that I am with you. Don't worry. You are good. A feeling of confidence. A feeling of giving you self-belief back to you. This is the competency which we call as the fundamental of listening. 90% of listening, what we call as empathy, is connected to what we call absolutely as the feeling of the person who is communicating something to you. The rest are data, blah, blah, as they say. You know, it can easily be deciphered. So, this person speaks for 15 minutes. This is where I have learned a lot from my personal exposure to the gurus of Sahaj Maharaj. Whether it was Charaji Maharaj or Daji, Kamlesh Pai as we call him. Though data is the same, in one look, even if they don't understand the language, they can go to the bottom of the heart and find out what is the feeling of this person, what is that he or she is communicating, the seekers as they are called. Once they are able to get in, the rest is easy. All they need to handle is what you actually, see imagine an iceberg, 5 to 10 percent is what is visible, the 90 percent is actually below the surface and this is the 90 percent which actually tipped your titanic or which is what tips many of the conversations that we have. The 10 percent what you hear is not the actual communication process. It is a 90 percent which you don't hear because nobody communicates feelings through words. They communicate through their body language at a very low level or by the sheer presence as we call when you meditate a lot, you start understanding what we call as the vibratory forces. The person sends vibratory pulses in terms of what I actually feel in the situation, what do I need from you? And if you are able to see at the other side of the iceberg, you get to understand that there is something beyond the data that I am hearing. In fact, in communication parlance, we term data as pure noise. Because if you are able to understand the pulse of the situation, the feeling of the person, is more than sufficient. This is something that I have learned personally in terms of how to touch the raw nerve of the person who is communicating something and understand what they want to actually say. Okay, when it comes to EA competencies, I see the EA competency shaping up to a great extent through the spiritual pursuit that is available to all of us today. What does it take for us to actually listen to someone? If I have to listen to someone, there are two things which are extremely fundamental to listen to the feelings of the person. The data you can not even actually you know, share your ears and still you will understand because they are all repetitive stuff. After all, what is that new that a person is going to communicate to you? It's either a problem or they want something and that's it. If you have to really tune into the person's feeling, there are only two things which are really essential. One, you need to be able to still your mind absolutely because when we actually listen what is happening many times we are already contemplating what to respond which means our mind is running ahead so instead of actually understanding the feeling of this person we are actually processing what we have heard as data and we are actually already preparing our reply or response when you still your mind, what happens is there are no little thoughts which are running about the person or the situation. 
you are a perfect antenna to receive what is coming to you. Not the words, but the feeling. The second thing which is equally essential for good listening is what we call as being in the moment. Man's continuous tendency is either to reminisce or to contemplate. We either move to the past or we keep moving to the future. We are never in the moment. Which means the person who is a human being in flesh and blood with a heart who is sitting across wanting to communicate what they feel, we miss the point and we are only spending a lot of time on the data that is being thrown at us. The two essential competencies that are essential for a leader in emotional intelligence is your ability to still your mind and your ability to be in that moment without prejudice, which is key. Because the moment someone wants to communicate to you, the moment the communication process starts, what is running in your mind? Your past exposure or experience with this person. The last 5, 10, 20 times I have spoken to this person, this is how they tend to speak. Which means by the time they actually talk to you, you are mentally prepared a decision. Okay, if it is my wife, she is going to speak like this. If it is my boss, he is going to speak like this. If it is my subordinate, he is going to speak like this. If it is my son or daughter, they are going to speak like this. If it is my father or mother, I know them for 20 years. But unfortunately, the 21st time that they talk to you, they might come with the information that you will never understand. Because our mind is already processing based on our past experience in terms of our prejudices. So as I said, listening as an important competency is linked to empathy. And you can only empathize if you are able to understand the true feeling which comes in your ability to still your mind. And in your ability to be in the moment and not be prejudiced about the person who is communicating to you across. Irrespective of the number of chances that we had in terms of exposure with this person in the past. It's your ability to be in the moment. When you are in the moment, there is no past, there is no future. This is where my guru, Chariji Maharaj, always used to say, there is actually one good thing we can learn from animals. They always live in the present. They don't carry, you know, no, so-and-so came to me one year back. He did not give me a biscuit, let him buy it today. I don't think it happens. There's also something else that actually affects all of us when we listen. The challenge of survival. As I was talking about the primordial brain a little bit earlier, our consistent struggle with ourselves and with others. Let's look at, for a moment, what do you define as leadership? If you do a quick Google search, you'll find at least about 2,000 definitions or even more on what leadership is all about. But as far as emotional intelligence is concerned, I'd only define leadership in a very simple Term. Your ability to lead yourself and your ability to lead others. Apparently simple and that's where the paradox lies. When we are working on a continuous survival mode because of what I call as the amygdala hijack, the primordial part of the brain which is continuously feeding you with information that every situation that you face is nothing but a survival situation. Unfortunately, it was true maybe 10,000 years ago when we were the hunted and predators which were there were the ones who were hunting us down. There the survival instinct was extremely essential for us to react quickly so that we can get out of that situation and save ourselves. 
over a period of time from the time man became what he is and his cortex and neocortex started growing and his ability to logically think has become at least million times better than what it was 10, 20,000 years ago. It is only smart that your logical brain actually tells you many of the time what is good for you, what is bad for you. But unfortunately, any given situation, what do we do? We look at a survival instinct. For example, let's look at a couple of survival instincts, how it unfolds both in families, in profession, and maybe in the social circles also. This is something that each one of you watching today will be familiar with. Anger and power. Two predominant lower level EA competencies in every human being. When you get angry with someone, typically it is when we lose a sense of control on the situation. My husband is not buying me this today. My spouse is not cooking me this food today. My daughter is not listening to what I am saying. My son is going against my wish. Which means your sense of control goes away from you. When the sense of control in your view goes away from you, it gives rise to a survival instinct. Immediately what do you do? You tend to take back that control and because it is coded into a DNA, what do we do? We raise our voice, display our anger because that is how we have been built over ages. That DNA is still part of you. It is not going to be easy to rewrite though it is possible to have certain solutions to that. I will be sharing that before at the end of the first session which is going to be my talk on EA and leadership. The second one is power. What does actually power give a person who is exhibiting power? The person who is exhibiting power actually in a way feels secure about the power he is exhibiting. And the people who are at the receiving end of the power, either benevolent or otherwise, have no choice but to depend on this leader who is exhibiting the power, either as a family head or as a CEO of a company or as a whatever, whatever. When they exhibit the power, in a way they are telling you, if you submit yourself to my power, I will give you the protection. Which means you feel protected. Which means I feed you with your survival instinct. This is how the great uh, warlords are born. This is how the great uh, dictators are born. They keep telling you that, please be with me. When the power hurts you is when either you succumb or you fight back, fight or flight mode. These are lower level EA tendencies where the predominant sense comes from your need to exhibit your power which comes from the need for you to exhibit control. When I lose control, what happens? The entire world turns against me and it is possible that I lose my situation, which means I am not going to survive. I may be, you know. Finally, all of us know that however fast you run the race, however slow you run the race, finally we all have a 6 by 3 waiting for us. It's not a big deal. Really speaking, if I ask you on the same date last year, 14th of January 2016, what were you angry about? About what did you display your power? What made you upset? You may not even remember. But at that moment when it happened, that would have been something really great. Something that would have really made you feel that you are inadequate to the situation. That you feel that your survival is being 
question. And hence we move into these modes in my view. Emotional intelligence competencies of a lower order involves other factors like jealousy and other things thrown in. Predominantly what we call as power and anger. All of us are familiar with these two in our day-to-day -day walk of life. Let's twist the tail a bit. How do the evolved gurus of the world who teaches the spiritual path actually look at this? In a sense, in my view, I have also understood that they are also making you feel secure. In fact, extremely secure. As secure as a just-born baby in the hands of its mother. I don't think there is a better phrase which would make you understand what the security is. What is that higher dimension of EA that they bring? The answer is almost quite obvious. This is what all the great religious leaders have taught us. This is what my guru, Karaji Maharaj, or my guru, Daji, has been teaching us. The higher form, the subtle form of the emotional need that gives you absolute security in that person's presence or even in his absence is what we term as love. Love is the highest need of a human being which makes them feel secure. Apparently in the shorter run, power and exhibition of anger gets you the control. But it gives you the control but not always necessarily giving the feeling of <clears throat> security or comfort to the person to whom you are exhibiting this anger or power. Whereas when you move up the ladder, management experts worldwide today talk about, at least for the last 10-15 years, like IQ and EQ, they speak about SQ or spiritual quotient, IQ being intelligence quotient, to a great extent, the work of a left brain. EQ, to a great extent, the work of your primordial brain in terms of how you handle your emotions. If I need to quieten these two and make a higher, subtle, forceless force to work in giving me that absolute sense of security, giving me that absolute sense of peace where in that person's presence that I feel he is my true leader. He is the person, irrespective of what my situation, he knows what I need at any point of time. Whether he is present in my presence or elsewhere, I am in his thought, I am in his heart. The factor of love. If you speak about this, the only way in which love unfolds is when it builds trust in your heart. When I am in the presence of this person or when I am interacting with this person, there is absolute trust. Trust in what? He will care and take care of me irrespective of what I am. Irrespective of my deficiencies. If I ask you who are the people that you remember from the last thousand years, invariably the names like Jesus Christ or Swami Vivekananda or any of our masters, Lalaji Maharaj, Babu Maharaj, Charji Maharaj, names will like will pop up. Why? Or maybe those who are familiar with the Indian context, Mother Teresa. Why? Because they epitomized love, care and affection. We don't imagine the people who brought 
heavy destruction. We don't imagine people who are intellectually great Jains. We imagine only people who gave us love. This is exactly what they give. If you look at the AA competencies, you need to be having competencies at two levels. One at a personal level, one at a global level. As I said, leadership. Leading yourself and leading others. You need to be aware of your emotions. You need to be able to see yourself from a perspective which tells you these are my lower level tendencies which forces me to control power and anger. I need to step out and move up the ladder and that's where you move into the state of self-regulation. When you move into the state of self-regulation, what I would share as my secret is my ability to meditate at any point of time, just sit, get the context, connect myself to a supreme love and set the context through which I can see the entire situation in a different way. Through which you remain motivated, through which you build empathy. Empathy in etymology terms comes from a Greek word which stands for empathos or in feeling. And once you have this, you become a great leader. You are able to interact with any set of people and by a sheer presence because you now become love personified. How? Because I have been meditating on the absolute which is nothing but love. I always used to ask atheists, which is the God that you actually deny? And when we get into discussions, I used to share that for me, there was a famous Tamil movie which even said, you know, unbasic, which means love is God. For me, actually, God is nothing but love. There are several ways in which he manifests. And there are several ways in which we can tap into that manifestation. And one of the ways, shortest, fastest, most effective, is your ability to meditate through the process of pranahuti. When I get that, I am able to instantly connect. Instead of looking outside the box to solve the problem from elsewhere, I start looking within. Whenever I have a challenge, whenever I am disturbed, whenever my primordial instinct takes over. I just tune in, center myself, ask myself this question. Which is better? Love or power or anger? The solution automatically comes to your hand. Over a period of time, you start developing those vibratory forces. You would have found it in your day-to-day -day life very simply. The moment you meet anyone, when you sit next to them and tune in for a second, what kind of a person is he? You'll automatically know, is he a person who is based on hatred? Is he a person who is insecure? Is he a person who is based on love and affection? Is he a person who is trustworthy? Each one of us have this guided missile sitting inside which points immediately saying he is that kind of person. Get up and leave. A couple of days back, I was in an airport transiting with one of my friends and we were sitting in a restaurant to have a cup of coffee. And Every five minutes we felt that the place was changing and every time we found there were a set of people who were coming in and set of people who were leaving. And every time we come we sort of made it as a game, you know, who is who? Who is the person who is neutral? Who is the person who is angry? Who is the person who is gross as we say? You know? And the moment they left the place became light. It's something that you can actually do it as you, okay, as I have been talking about uh, the need to meditate for you to connect to an absolute source, which is nothing but love, what we call as God. When an atheist denies God, he is denying the presence of love. I always ask them, have you ever been loved? Do you love anyone? They say yes. Then I tell them, please don't look for God elsewhere, you already found him. If you really look at meditation, what does it actually do? 
in a very simple step before I wind up and go back to the question answer session, we learn to look within instantly for a period of time by sheer practice. You learn to be in the moment, which means what has happened five minutes ago, what might happen ten minutes from now is not going to affect me in any way. You're able to still the mind because meditation helps you to develop that single pointed focus and what you focus expands. And what do we focus? We focus on love. The moment you focus on love, that love expands and you start manifesting and you become love personified. Your ability to suspend prejudice automatically takes place. When you look at EA competency from organizational perspective, for those who are keen on saying how would it affect my ability to be a leader, won't I become a softy as they say, you know, when someone becomes affection or love epitomized, they look like a softy, someone who can take for granted, it's not necessarily so. They are the people who can make heart-based choices, because when you look at mind, the mind cannot feel love. And the heart cannot think power. The moment you are working from your mind as a leader, what would only come to you is power. The moment you are able to move to your heart and start working as a leader, you will start understanding love. And power becomes a subservient to that because then the mind gets regulated through the process of meditation and the heart takes over. You can improve your emotional intelligence qualities through what I call a spiritual intelligence. And it is a permanent spiral growth. There is no end. Any human being who has ever said, I have reached the pinnacle of my growth, he has already stopped growing. With that short note of 35 minutes which I have been given, I would uh, now uh, give back to my panelists and start taking questions from those who are watching this webinar. Over to you, Lakshmi. Thank you, Prakash. It was a, a wonderful presentation. I, I certainly believe all of us would have learned a lot from this. It was interesting to hear about the different elements of EI competencies and how the spiritual intelligence kind of balances out things in the end. Personally, also, I am very grateful to hear those anecdotes from you in association with the spiritual teachers of heartfulness, Ravir Charji Maharaj and Kamlesh Patel, whom we affectionately call as Daji. Um, they spoke volumes, and I think these uh, spiritual teachers are there for us to uh, teach uh, so many things, and uh, so we're all grateful to listen to that. Uh, with that being said, I think I will turn to the audience to see if they have any questions for you. There are a lot of questions that are coming in, and uh, here is a first question that I received uh, by email, and this person wanted to be anonymous. Uh, the question is, if the emotional intelligence is the intelligence in relation to others, why is there so much talk about the self? What's the relationship? Self uh, was the lower self, I understand. So he says, what's the relationship? Uh, maybe part of this I had answered in the session that I just shared a bit ago. I mentioned that leadership is your ability to lead yourself and lead others. And 
leading the self again has uh, uh, two deeper meanings. One is your ability to lead the lowest self of you, which is your normal existence, which is the factor of I or the ego that comes into play, your identity. When you start working on, in some way, going through the process of love, which ultimately leads to the process of surrender to a higher force, you automatically expand your lower self to a higher self, which means there is a force which acts through you from a different plane, which is a forceless force which we call as love. Imagine at every moment that you are guided automatically in some sense from an unseen and omnipresent support angel. You can't make any mistakes. This is exactly what happens when you mix EI, moving from a lower self to a higher self, and then connecting to the higher self, which we call as the universal force, or the love, or God, or whatever you want to call it. That way, I guess, uh, you move up the ladder, the value chain, and you find that the higher is manifest, and then the internal higher self starts connecting to the outer self and takes over. I hope I have answered that. Yes, you did, yeah. Here's the next question from Nadia. I think she's from Russia. I have challenges in regulating my emotions. I repent much more later about what I said or did. How do I overcome this? It's a good question. For starters, maybe I should answer this before, but thanks for this question. When mm -hmm. we start in competencies as a session, one of the things that I do people uh, tell people is... Uh, introduce pause because if you see how your brain is hardwired when you are emotional you feel threatened and your survival instinct takes over there is a blood flow which stops blood from going to logical brain and then the primordial brain starts getting fed this blood and the movement of the blood is essential for you to be able to process information from the brain which also houses this primordial brain and that sends the signal to the body to act or react in a way. Either you say something violently or do something violently out of rage. And then by the time you finish the action, your primordial brain has now stopped receiving blood supply. It calms down and then the blood starts moving to your logical brain. Actually, it's almost a case of multiple personality disorder. There are two people sitting inside your head who are working against you and one working for you. How do I not feed the person who immediately gets up at the first reaction, which is your primordial brain? The only way is to starve him. And how do I starve him? By just not doing anything. I always say take a pause. Take a deep breath to start with. When you move into higher levels of meditation, this automatically happens. Whenever you feel you are being, at least this person has said he is being emotionally, you know, sort of uh, ruffled a bit. Just take a, take a deep breath, just pause, and practice it for a week or so and see what the results are. And maybe later you can expose yourself to meditation. Hmm, thanks, Prakash. Now, here's a, a basic question, but uh, many of us might have this. This is from Rajesh. Kanan, he asks, what is the difference between emotion and feeling? Okay, as I said, uh, feeling is the fire, emotion is the smoke. Uh, emotion, you can say, is the expressed aspect of the feeling. 
I might have the feeling that I like you, but till I emote, which is the expression portion of the feeling, you wouldn't know. That's when you might want to express your love to your wife, but the only way she can understand your feeling is when you emote by just allowing you to hold her hand or tap or do whatever. Then that emotion portion connects and they understand your feeling. Because after all, we are still animals in some way where we need to connect at least at a uh, visible level. Thanks, Sir Prakash. Now, this is a question from Enns and uh, from Denmark, I believe. This observer, is he, she observing the self or is it about observing the world around? Example, nature, people, environment? Initially, the observer is you inside of you. And as long as you are engrossed in yourself, in a lower self, you will never be able to observe. Which means you become a slave of your emotional aspect of your feelings and you go through a perennial uh, circle of doing the same things again and again. Mm -hmm. The immediate ability is for you to in some way detach yourself. When I mentioned about self-awareness, in any given situation, can I look at myself from a distance? These are things that we teach uh, in EA classes called as emotional detachment. The ability to detach yourself from a situation. We use the techniques of visualization. For example, just imagine you are sitting somewhere and think that you are sort of your body is moving out and seeing yourself and how do you actually feel at this point of time in terms of the emotions that you carry. You start observing yourself and then you start seeing, okay, this is not the Prakash I want to have. And then you move into the self-regulation mode. And once you start meditating, you allow the higher self to move in and that higher self sits inside you and keeps giving you those intuitive voices from the heart to tell you that this is not right and this is not the way for you to go. That way, I guess you should be able to get a certain uh, guidance starting right from now. Hmm. Thanks, Prakash. That was nice. There was an also another question kind of related to that, and this is from Paridhi, uh, saying, in listening to the self, how do we differentiate between different opinions that come to our minds in terms of acting in an action or in a situation? As I said, yeah, in any situation, as I said, the mind has two aspects. One is your logical brain, the second is your emotive brain. And uh, out of these two, if you're looking at better of the two choices, the choices obviously is allow your logical brain because logical brain is based on data, whereas emotive brain at that point of time is based on how you feel and which uh, triggers your uh, instincts in terms of survival instincts and then it takes over. That's a little bit of a dangerous game to play. If you allow what we call as a whole brain living to get in, what we do, we subjugate the whole brain, which in some sense has the field of mind around it, and get the mind guided through the heart, through the process of looking within. There are several ways in which you can do. One way in which I told you is to be able to meditate. When you do that, the heart starts taking over the field of the mind and starts giving the right signals. For some people it happens in a week, for some people it takes about one month, maybe three months, but it is something that is worth giving a chance. See what it says and follow it over a period of time, your heart cannot go wrong. That's what our masters, our spiritual teachers always used to tell us, where the mind invariably goes wrong. 
True. Follow the heart, right? Wonderful. Now, here's a question from Andrea from Spain. Isn't emotional intelligence as a leadership competency a bit overrated? <laughs> I would uh, say that uh, though EA as a topic has been on for almost 20, 25 years uh, till now, uh, thanks to the business pressures that are prevailing all over the globe, what takes over in the shorter run predominantly is an output-based culture. And in output-based culture, what happens is what you perform, what you bring as top line or bottom line, takes unfortunately precedence over how that person who is being asked to do that work actually feels. Finally, if you take the people out of an organization, it is nothing but buildings. Mm. Imagine if uh, Microsoft, all the people leave tomorrow, nobody turns up for work. The same for Indian government, the same for anywhere else. The people who finally run are fresh and blood with the heart. If EA is thought to be overrated, just tell your people not to turn up for a week at your work and see if your machines can do the work on their own. You need people and people have to be guided. People are guided by their feelings. And the best mm. way to guide their feelings is to make them feel secure. And if EA has a competency to make people feel secure in a presence is not there, they have conflicts. And these conflicts make them restless, make them feel less at peace, which means they can't work. They will be working at 10, 20, 30 percent of a productivity. Whereas a person who is EA competent gives 2x, 3x, or even sometimes exponential growth to his organization. That way a leader is smart spiritually and emotionally, only when he is able to unleash the power of his team by making them feel secure and not driving them like what we call as you know, slave drivers. To that mm. extent, he has a competency, in fact, in my view, is actually underrated. Right, okay. That's interesting. Uh, next question is from Padmini. Can emotional intelligence be augmented while working within a competitive world work environment? Can you repeat the question? I missed the phrase. Can emotional intelligence be augmented while working within a competitive work environment? Yes, of course uh, it can. That's uh, what I had been explaining before. Because for you to augment, you need to understand that you cannot subjugate yourself to a lower level force, which is power and anger, which comes arise arises out of your survival instinct. After all, if you really allow yourself, if you are competent, if you are capable, why are you actually afraid of someone unleashing their force or power on you? Because you believe, in case you make a mistake in an organizational context, you have your performance appraisal coming up. Your boss can be angry with you. He might not give you the increment or the promotion. Or he might fire you, worse situation. If you're really competent, in fact, it should be the other way around. If you're really strong emotionally and in terms of performance, you should be able to fire your boss. My guru you always used to say, make yourself indispensable. To such an extent, not indispensable, indispensable out of the power and anger that you display, but indispensable by the character that you build, by the love that multiplies inside of you, and through which you automatically augment your EA competencies. To such an extent that I have seen in many of the big companies when I real EA strong leader leaves, there is a mass exodus. 50, 100, 200 people leave along with him to the next company. Why do they do it? Mm -hmm. Because they feel secure with him. To that extent, augmenting is a continuous process. It's possible, can be done starting from now. Right, okay. This question is from Arun. 
How does poor or unregulated emotions affect the relationship fabric? Uh, quite simple. When you go back, uh, Arun, if you get angry, just take a glass and throw it into the wall. <laughs> See what happens. It takes you half an hour, one, to pick up the glass, and another one and a half months before you separate your mother's or your wife's or your daughter's moods back in place. You already slipped back that emotional drunk quite a few ladder. Instead, imagine what has triggered you in a situation when you go back home, when you are under emotional stress. It's nothing but lack of security from the other person. They feel insecure because what you have said, what you have done. Put them back at comfort by making them feel secure and see what happens. Right. Thanks, Prakash. The is one from Tom from USA. Can emotional balance ever exist? I guess so. Uh, if you just look at the heartfulness movement per se, we, there are more than 300,000 practitioners who are doing it today. If you really ask me sincerely if they made it, surely not. But if on a comparative path between what they were and what they are now, they surely climbed quite a few rungs in the ladder where they are at a balance between a lower self and a higher self, where the lower self has slowly started giving way to the higher self. In any given situation, they are able to see a larger perspective that love prevails, power and anger, or the survival instincts don't. Many mm. of us, including you who has been practicing, including me, we have seen several changes in our life impacted by our spiritual teachers. And I think in some way we are living examples. Mm. Partly, yes, the balance is there. Complete balance, maybe, still it's work in progress. Right, nice, thanks. Now, probably this is the last question. This is from Nitesh, and uh, he's asking, how do we balance personal and professional life with EI? I'm more of an emotional person who takes his decision based on emotions in workplace. What effect will it have on my career in future if I choose not to change this? As part of my coaching career, uh, the standard question that I come across always is, I don't seem to have the work-life balance. One thing mm -hmm. that I have seen is in some of these situations, we do speak to the spouse of the concerned executive. Many times they very clearly say, we understand that he has to work 10 to 12 hours a day. We perfectly understand that. And he needs rest for about 6 to 7 hours. The rest of the time, even if it is one hour that he is with us, that one hour, let him be fully with us. Many of us, when we are at work, we are at home, and when we are at home, we are at work. Unfortunately, what happens is you do not give the best at both the places. Mm. I have seen spouses who have uh, part of the coaching, they openly say, even if he spends half an hour, let him give that full half an hour completely. As they say, you know, look into my eye, lock yourself up. Next half an hour, you are fully mine. That half an hour <laughs> is enough to charge him for the next full day. And you can go back and have married at your workplace without having to worry what your spouse or your children are going to dish out when you get back. Right. <laughs> I thought I'd on a humorous note, so that was the take. That was nice. Now, I, uh, although that may not be the last question, I just uh, read this question. I thought it's a nice one to ask you. Uh, okay. This is from Himali. How to control your emotions? As you rightly said, we should radiate love. But what if someone is not responding to you? Do you continue to interact with the person or, or end all relations? Because I, I know. Yeah. Okay, the question was, because I know 
if I don't interact with the person, uh, that person would never interact with me on their own. So that's the full question, actually. I'll end it with a favorite Buddhist story my Guru Charity Maharaj used to share. It was about Buddha. He's Buddha used to go on walks for taking what is called as uh, bhikshai, from which they are supposed to have food. One day morning he is going with his disciples and in one of the houses uh, uh, he is given human excreta. And uh, Buddha doesn't say anything, he just keeps uh, walking away. And his disciples get extremely upset the way in which his, uh, their guru has been uh, insulted. It's almost three hours and none of them are able to bear this. At uh, the end of this walk, uh, Buddha stops somewhere to have uh, the food that has been given to all the people. And all his disciples are fuming and saying that uh, this person insulted you. How can you ever just uh, walk away without having done anything to him? So Buddha asked a very simple question. When that person gave whatever he gave, who did it belong to? Uh, the hmm. disciples said it belonged to him. So the next question Buddha asked, had I taken it, who would it have belonged to? So the disciples said it would have belonged to you. He said, I didn't take it. Who does it belong to now? So it belonged to the person who actually gave. I said, he gave, he took it back. Why do I have to be perturbed with this? This is stillness of the mind. It takes a lot of time because we have a lot of expectations from relationships. We have expectations from situations. Because all these expectations to some extent are tied down to our ability or our need to feel secure and our need to survive in any given situation. When you see yourself from a distance and start seeing that even life and death in a way is actually not life and death at all. If it is already preordained, anyway you are going to pass away on that day. Why bother? I mean, they say that don't fret the small stuff and life actually is full of only small stuff. To that extent, your ability to disconnect quickly from that moment by taking a pause, taking a deep breath and looking at that, from that situation, from the story like what Buddha did, might help this person also a long way, including all of us. Wonderful, Prakash. It was a lovely story and uh, a deep meaning to it. Um, so I hope, uh, you know, uh, everybody uh, enjoyed this uh, question-answer session. Thank you for uh, taking the time to answer these questions uh, very patiently. Now, at this point, I would like to uh, move on and bring everybody's Can attention. Can a second to, to thank all the audience? Absolutely. Please go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it's a great privilege, though I can't see you from wherever you are. I, I hear that there are thousands of people logged in from across continents. We also have a live audience here uh, in Babaji Memorial Ashram in Chennai. It's really nice that we have had this opportunity to exchange views. I'm available, which uh, Lakshmi will be sharing with you in terms of my contact details. If you have any questions, feel free to share it with me. I would like to thank the audience who have been through the web present, as well as those who are present here across uh, the podium where I am standing. And thanks a lot, Lakshmi, for arranging this. I know the grind that you've taken in the last four weeks to put it together. It has been a wonderful session. Thanks and back to you. Thank you, Prakash. So as I was saying, I'd like to bring everybody's attention to the Heartfulness Monthly Magazine, a great magazine in which we explore everything from self-development and health, relationship with family and friends, how to thrive in a workplace, to living in tune with nature. We also bring you inspirations from the likes of people who've made a difference to humanity. And you can subscribe to this online by visiting heartfulnessmagazine.com. You can also follow Heartfulness in social media channels like Google, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And to find your closest uh, Heartfulness trainer, visit hotspots.heartfulness.org. 
You can also connect with us through the mobile app Let's Meditate and with the touch of a button you could meditate with a person 24-7 from anywhere across the world. And as you see, there are toll-free numbers for heartfulness for USA and Canada. It's easy to remember, a vanity number, 1-844-TRY-HEARTFUL. There's a vanity, there is a toll-free number for India as well uh, for you to just pick a phone and call us. You can also email us for any further information on heartfulness. Moving on, and at this point, I would like to read something. Uh, part of the article from the world leader of heartfulness, also our uh, spiritual uh, teacher, and my spiritual teacher, Kamlesh T. Patel. He's affectionately called as uh, Daji. Now, this one I thought was quite related to uh, the topic that Prakash was talking to us, and uh, hence I'm going to read it for you. Why do we meditate? Often people ask out of curiosity, why do we meditate? I may answer to regulate the mind. Why do we need to regulate the mind? To attain a state of peace? But what will you do with a regulated mind? With the stillness and calmness that exists within you when you meditate. This is a wise and stimulating line of inquiry. What can we do with that meditative experience that helps us to rise above fickle tempers and ascend the pedestal of a steady and unruffled peace? A lot is possible. When peace prevails within us, our hearts are serene and content. Can we fight with one another? When we are in a calm state and when we interact with family and community members, co-workers and strangers, are we not more considerate of their worries, their troubles, and also kinder in our response? When we read a book in a tranquil state, will we not understand its message better? He also goes on to say, meditation understood properly is a process to create a meditative state. Once this meditative state is achieved, where there is serenity, calmness, and peace, we are able to manifest the intrinsic goodness of our heart. This expression of our heart's goodness makes peace more dynamic and life-affirming, and in its wake brings unity and harmony to the world. A peaceful and meditative heart easily distinguishes what is good for all, detects the cause behind an action and its effect, and screens our future actions by adjusting our erratic tendencies. Well, uh, if you want to read the full article, please visit www.daji.org. Uh, we've almost come to the end of the session. Um, at this point, um, I'd like to say please look out for our follow-up email and feedback questions. And take a moment to fill out the feedback questions for us. We really appreciate that. Uh, if you have any questions for Prakash, please send them to his email that you see on the screen. I welcome any additional comments or questions to myself. You can send them to guestspeaks at heartfulness.org. And uh, on behalf of Prakash, I would like to thank all the audience for your participation today in the speaker series. And on behalf of all the audience, I would like to thank Prakash for his wonderful presentation and time he spent with us. I look forward to seeing you in our next webinar on February 4th on the topic, Relationships, the Power of Opposites, that's been led by Dr. Edisius.
one of the world's leading management experts. Until then, take care and bye for now.